Well, good morning, gentlemen. Looks like uh, we only have some some men that need to dress in pink next time, but the rain must uh, the rain must melt them or something. I don't know. We're uh, we're lacking a few. I know some are out on uh, on mission trips. Tom and uh, Dan and Cody, and um, so we praise the Lord for. Uh, for that, I got a picture from them uh, whenever they they landed. Of course, Tom Gosler has been to Nepal a number of times, but it's the first time for uh, for for Dan and Cody, and I think some other ones on the trip. So I asked them what was their first impression, and they sent me back a picture of you know Kathmandu. If you've ever seen any any, uh, everybody takes what, uh, the same picture. The all of the the. Um, uh, telephone lines and and everything. It just, I mean, it looks like a bird's nest. I mean, they're I have no idea how anything functions over there, and uh, yet they they made it all right. So we uh, we praise the Lord uh, for that. They're going to be painting a building uh, while they're and Govinda is over there taking his expositor seminary training and uh, teaching a number of pastors. And um, the goal is to uh, set up a similar similar system where he's here. And he'll reteach a number of the things they learned in, in TES uh, into Nepal. So the work of Timberlake Baptist Church all over the world. We praise God uh, for that. Open your Bibles to Psalm 22 this morning. We're going to begin there with prayer. And then we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to finish up our study today on fathers in the home. And uh, we covered three of those principles last week. We'll cover the other three this week, and let's see what God wants us to learn. Psalm 22. Why are we doing Psalm 22? Because today is October 22nd. Now, I want you to pay attention and listen to, uh, to what, David, what David does here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you heard that before? On the cross, yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. I am crying, I feel forsaken, and I feel like deliverance is very far away. Have you ever felt that way? Forsaken and... The uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is very, very, very far away. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I have no rest. So that's how David starts. But watch what he does in verse 3. Yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel in you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, and they were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Watch how he started in the, in the pit, looking at his circumstances. And I was very honest about how he felt. You ever felt that way? I felt that way. Um, Feels like the answer is far away. God's far away. You're crying to him over and over in verse 2 by day, and you don't answer by night. Your, your sleep is 
is, is stolen, you may drift off, but then the minute that you, you, you wake up, maybe in the middle of, of the night, you're thinking about whatever that burden on your heart is, whatever that, that, that struggle, that, that difficulty. And so then he takes his, his eyes off his circumstances. He focuses them on God, doesn't he? Yet you are, you are holy. Um, starts preaching the gospel to himself. Starts telling himself the truth. Um, mind is a powerful thing, and a depraved mind uh, with that kind of with that kind of power is not a is not a good recipe for uh, um, for thinking rightly. So he starts focusing on God, uh, and then he starts focusing on what God's done in the in the past. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered. You know, he starts reminding himself of what God's already done, um, proof. Um, you start thinking about what the Lord's done for you in the past, what the Lord's done for, uh, for others, uh, and how he, he's come through. He never lets us down. They cried out to you and were delivered. In you they trusted. And they were not put to shame. They're not. Uh, they're not disappointed. Um, the Lord may delay the answer, delay in the sense of we want it quicker than He actually brings it, but He will never, ever put you to shame, let you down. You place your faith and trust in Him, and in His timing. Isn't that what Ecclesiastes has been teaching us? God will make all things beautiful in His time or in its time, um, and. Romans 8, uh, he'll work it together for good. James 1, you don't rejoice in the trial, but what the trial produces, it's maturity. Maturity doesn't happen overnight, does it? I mean, it takes time. And when you're in the throes of that time, uh, you have to remind yourself who God is, what God's promised, and what he's done in the past. And that's where, that's where you, can, you can find hope. So we're talking about fathers and families and all of those kinds of things and when I go through a study like this I begin to say yes yes this is what I need to do and then at times I also begin to go no no this is what I've done and so I cry out to the Lord and then I remind myself of this you are God you will fulfill your promises you have delivered uh, many in the past and you will You'll deliver me. So let's go to God in prayer. Prayer hearts for the lesson this morning. Father, we do thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, just the opportunity to to wake up. Many for many in this room, it's been a it's been a short night, and um, we start a new day, and it's the day that you've ordained for us. We praise you for that. In your book are written all of our of our days. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. You remind us um, not to fret over this day, even though we haven't lived it. You you've already declared the end from the beginning. So you tell us uh, sufficient for for this day are the are the troubles. There will be there will be parts of the curse that are operating uh, today and we aren't to be anxious about that or get overwhelmed by that because um, because you are, are the Lord 
not only sufficient for this day or its its troubles, um, your mercies are new every morning. And so we have sufficient grace to meet those those trials. And, and, um, and you tell us to ask you for them, so we do. I ask you, Lord, for, for your mercy today. Um, bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Grant us this day our daily bread, all of our physical and spiritual needs. Um, this time together is no doubt part of that, so help us to be attentive. Take your truth and sink it deep in our hearts. Uh, press aside any distractions that might be there that we might that we might not rush through through this meal. Um, you have said it before us, and so help us to to see what you want us to see. Trust in what you what you have provided for us. Um, help me to be clear. Help me to learn. Remind us, Father, that we are not the center of the universe. Um, you did not create this world uh, for to serve us. We were created to serve you and to serve others. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are on page 102. And we started on, uh, the, we're in series 7, study 6. Believe it or not, this is the last one. In Fathers on the Home. Next, we are going to biblical counseling and personal discipleship. Um, but we are on study six, Fathers in the Home. And last week we covered uh, um, these uh, the first three of these character principles. And so um, we learned that our character. As men impacts our wives, our our children, and and really the ultimate success of the family, the family unit, and that's that's weighty. What what our children, what what our coworkers, what our families learn about God, part of that is going to be what they observe, uh, what they observe from from us. And so, um, before you start doing, and that's normally where I immediately go. Show me what to do. Give me the five ways to fix whatever my problem is. Before we ever get to the doing part, we have to start with the being part. And so he gave us some character principles. What comes out of our hearts um, will, uh, you know, will, will be the will be the direction of our, our lives. So he puts the bullseye right on our hearts. And the first character principle he gave us was to was to trust in in the sovereignty of, of God. The second principle that we saw last week was seeing leadership as a stewardship uh, of the of the home. We're not owners um, of our wives, of our children, of our home. And the third was believing in God's word. Believe that all the answers are, are in the Bible. It's a conviction that that God has the answer. I was uh, was getting my hair cut yesterday, and um, I was sitting there minding my own business, trying to think about uh, something other than the music that was playing in the background or the conversations that were going on around me. And and yet, while you're sitting there, you know. Um, you, you can't help but overhearing things that are around you. And I was listening to uh, to this, this lady um, that was cutting somebody else's hair. 
really preaching the gospel, not a good gospel, but the good news that she had just found about how to how to help her help her child. The child evidently has some kind of issue or difficulty, and and um, it was just a I mean the easiest way to say it was a bunch of psychobabble nonsense about learning their uh, you know their different bent and and then once you figure that out then you'll figure out why they're acting out the way they are in life and then you just embrace the way that they act out because if you don't do that then they're going to go further astray and I mean she was passionate about this she was showing this lady YouTube's she was giving her books and telling her telling her what to do and and as I thought about that this morning with principle three, um, um, I was reminded that there's a conviction that we believe that God's word has the answer, um, not Dr. Spock or Dr. Whoever. God's word has the answers. It's sufficient, and that's, that's a conviction. So we talked last week about how you model that in your, in your homes. Do you solve your problems biblically? Or do you solve your problems so it's some other way? Is the Bible the last place you go or the first place you go? Do you understand it enough to be able to to distill that and articulate it to you know to your children or to to your to your wife? And if you don't know how to do that, do do you model for them what we're going to learn this morning, which is humility, which says. You know what? I know the Bible has all the answers. I don't know exactly how to articulate that, but let's go to the Bible together and figure that out, or let me go to the Bible and I'll bring it back to you. That's that's how you model trust in uh, in God's in God's word. If if Jesus is just like the uh, the air freshener that you that you hang on your rearview mirror, um, that's not going to produce biblical Christianity in in your life. So this morning we're going to start on principle four, which is on the top of page 102, it's living in humility before God. And we're going to watch a video in just a second. It's only about one minute long, so it will be fast, so you're going to have to listen fast. It's Alistair Begg, so I could listen to him a lot longer than a minute. Uh, I like his accent better than, better than mine. But he's going to talk to us about the importance of humility. And then I'm going to ask you the question, how would you define humility? How would you define it, and then what does it, what does it look like? And then we're going to talk about living out that humility in the home. Humility is essentially the awareness of the fact that we're not the center of the universe. We're not even the center of our own little universe. Pride is endemic in all of us. I mean, you, you realize every day of your life, at least I do, you know, that I'm thinking about, well, how does this affect me? What will this mean to me? Uh, as opposed to, well, how will it be for my wife or for my children or for my colleagues, whatever else it is. Surrounding ourselves with people who uh, care for us enough to say, hey, wait a minute, that's tremendously helpful. And uh, most of us don't want to do that because we want to be champions of our own course. Humility is tough. Mm. Humility is tough, isn't it? Um, I resonated with surrounding yourself with people that say, hey, wait a minute. And you said, that's really helpful. You surround yourself with people that will tell you the truth, specifically the truth about about pride, um, or encourage you in humility. How would you define humility? I mean, if we're going to talk about living 
in humility before God, which then permeates our, our life, uh, our, our homes and otherwise, how would you how would you define it? How did he define it? Yeah? I think it has a lot to do with our openness to receive counsel. Okay. I, I've been reading through uh, Proverbs. I actually decided to use MacArthur's Bible reading method for it, where I'll read it a number of times. I don't know about my third time, but the number of times. Proverbs yeah. talks about... Not that you're being proud about how many times that you read that, right? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. But uh, just how it jumps out at you about what it says about a man or a person who is willing to receive counsel Mm. and what it has to say about those who won't. Mm. Amen. So one of the marks of humility is is a willingness to hear. Is that the best way to define that? Willingness to hear. Yeah, Stephen? I love the uh, King James where it says the lowliness of of Mm. mind deceiving others. Yeah. It is. You're arranging yourself under under God and yeah. thinking very small about yourself. That's probably one of the best translations of the word, actually. A lowliness of, of mind, a lowliness of, of thinking. That's great. Jim? Yeah. The Bible also says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Mm-hmm. I think back when I was, I had a German short hair uh, for hunting, a pointer. And when you're training a dog, it's a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. I understand. But we have to get under God's mighty hand and as he trains us, as we work through life and we conform to his image, that gives us a certain humbleness. One of my favorite psalms, and I don't remember the, the which one because, you know, I, I go through them, but it's is the, the psalmist says that he looks to the hand of God like a servant does his master. Like a like a uh, a maiden does her maid, or maybe the vice versa. But just that idea that I, I look to God as the as my only source, and that I'm 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 I am like a servant. So um, that's good. What else? Yeah. Uh, I would say a proper perspective of yourself in light of God's greatness. Mm, that's good. Proper perspective of yourself. That's the lowliness of mind. What causes the lowliness of mind? What God says about us, and then, and then in light of, of who He is. Well, the the other clip that that was that was vying against uh, Alistair Begg was 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 Piper. Um, we use a lot of Piper because he does like three to four. He's got like a lot of three to four minute little clips out there. And I look for some with, with MacArthur, but he's like 54 minutes. So if we want to watch a full sermon, a full exposition, that's about all we get. And, uh, and Alistair had this one. But Piper said, it's an attitude that you owe me nothing. So the pride is you owe me. I go through life, you owe me. It's an attitude that everybody owes me. And that's really what, what Alistair was, was saying, the, the opposite of that, the center of the universe. A proud man goes through life thinking that everybody owes him something. And, 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 and Piper used the example, you go out in the morning and the paper is not there at 6.30. It comes at 6.35 and you're angry because you 
deserve your paper at 6.30. You come out every morning at 6.30, and the paper's there at 6.30. What is wrong with the paper person that didn't have the paper there on time? It's the idea that, that your wife owes you something. They owe you whatever it might be. They owe you whatever need it is that you, that you think. How do you respond to others? Well, they re- reveal a lot about do you have that lowliness of mind? Jesus said in the Beatitudes that we want to be poor in, in spirit. Um, it's a hard attitude. Knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt, that's what that means, before, before God. So realizing that you are nothing and you have nothing is, is one of the, uh, the beginning places for, for seeing who does and, uh, and, and gratitude. Humility, the Bible says, is necessary to enter the kingdom. It's a byproduct of knowing Christ. And the Bible says it's necessary to be great in the kingdom. You're not going to come to Christ as a proud person. Um, you have to first know that, that you have nothing. You're the beggar, and he is the one who has the bread. So it's necessary to enter the kingdom. And then what's the passage that, that everybody knows that he points us to here in Mark 10, uh, 44? We're instructed that greatness in the kingdom is the one who serves Oh, so it's necessary. Humility is necessary to be great in the in the kingdom. The opposite of of you owe me. Um, it's a sense of subordination to Christ. You don't feel a right to better treatment than Jesus. It asserts truth as uh, as service to Christ. It's dependent on grace. It you, it knows it's man knows he's fallible and embraces criticism. How well do you take criticism? Well, principle number four: living in humility before God. Fathers must be humble before God, before the cross, before the Savior, and before people in their in their life. How are you humble before before God? Uh, I wrote down. You realize that. You exist for him, not the other way around. You're created for him. How are you humble before before the cross? Trust in it. I mean, this is my only hope. Um, obviously, you look at the cross, it will humble you. Um, how do you... How, how can I be humble before the, the Savior? Uh, I realize that I exist because of him. Everything comes from him. I live for him. I mean, that's that's my purpose in life. And and before before people, I'm, I'm that lowliness of mine in, in living life. So what does is, what is our, our lesson teach us? Number one, we want to put this principle into practice. Examine yourself regularly. And be honest in your assessment. You remember my testimony? I just gave it again uh, on uh, on Saturday for the new members class. I can remember going into Pastor Joe and giving him my, my reasonings why I wasn't that bad of a guy. Pretty good guy. You know, just drink a beer every now and then. Give the shirt off my back to whoever. You know, I'm... I'm not a murderer. I'm not, as we said before, isn't it funny that when we compare ourselves to others, we always find people worse than us. We never compare ourselves to somebody better. Um, 
how are you at, um, at, at examining yourself, inviting others to examine you, and uh, be honest in your assessment? One of the most, the most humbling things that you can do is actually ask your wife or your children to, to examine you and give, and give an assessment. And one of the tests of how humble you have lived before them is whether they're fearful to do that or not. Can they actually give you an honest assessment? Now, you may get, no, 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 no. I mean, there's a, there's a little part of that where somebody says, no, here, here I am. You know, dig around in my underwear drawer, find whatever you see, bring it out, and let's, let's deal with it. And I'm like, ah, that's a little uncomfortable. Um, but no, really, I want to know. Um, do you see a blind spot in my in my life? And and if they know that that you're going to hold that against them or bring that up in that conversation, you know, uh, the the next time they do something do something wrong, then they're not going to be very apt to you know to help you, and that's going to indicate to you that that you you've got a humility problem. Pray the Lord will reveal your lack of humility. So that you may repent. I mean, think about we need humility, but a lack of humility is blindness to the fact that we're not humble. <laughs> so God's got to actually open our eyes to that. Yeah, Larry? I would just um, maybe suggest even turning the question around. I would recommend you don't ask, do you see it? You flip it around and say, what do you see? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pray the Lord will reveal that lack of lack of humility. It is not common in our culture to use self-indicting language, self-exalting language, but not self-indicting language. When we're proud or we exalt ourselves, we place ourselves in opposition to God. I think there are two things about humility, two things the Bible says about humility and pride that, that, that make me want to seek it. One is God gives grace to the humble. Do you need God's grace? I need God's grace. And he says, I mean, think about that. That is a, that's an amazing passage and a puzzling passage. Because what's grace? Unmerited, undeserved, God just dispenses it. There's nothing in us that attracts it. In fact, we repel God, but His grace just comes to us. So it's, there's nothing that you can do to attract God's grace. He's gracious because He's gracious. But He says He gives grace to the humble. And so there's the, the perplexing part. The, the joyous part is that, that He gives it. The perplexing part is it's almost saying humility in some way attracts God's God's grace, which kind of cuts against what grace is. So I want to pursue it because I need more of God's grace. The flip side of that is that when I'm proud, I place myself in opposition to God. Now, I don't think any man in here would, would, uh, you know, would just rise up and shake their fist in God's face and begin to... to you know, to instruct him or curse him or whatever else. Like, rise up against God. 
That's exactly what the Bible says we do whenever we're, whenever we're proud. We place ourselves not in opposition to the paper guy who didn't get our, our, our paper there on time or against our wife because she didn't have her dinner there or didn't do the right things or our kids because they're being too loud whenever you're trying to rest. We're not rising up against them. We're actually placing ourselves in opposition to God. And um, God's a jealous God. He, he'll, he'll, not be, he'll not be trifled with. Look at B. Admitting sin in this area can be embarrassing, but confess we we must. Why is it embarrassing to confess that we're that we're proud? That we're not humble. And yes. Yeah. Do you find it easier to, to see the sins in everybody else's life rather than your own? I mean, I can tell you to to a great degree uh, all of the areas that my wife lacks sanctification. I'm probably an expert on that. But I'm not an expert on my own. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. It's hard to acknowledge. If you remember a humbling experience I had, I was out, when I was still working with Anthem, I was out witnessing. We'd go out at lunchtime, and they had the, the central bus station there, KRT. It was all, all open, kind of all rapid transit. And I was there, and I, I was witnessing to, to this man, and uh, he was a homeless fellow. And I sat down there and talked to him you know, for, for a while. I offered him the offered him the gospel and um and then i was was was, yeah he thought he was he thought he was a believer and i was getting up to to leave and he grabs me by the arm and he said he said hey aren't you going to pray for me you just told me how important god was in prayer is i tell you what let me pray for you and he bowed his head and and he prayed this this amazing prayer uh for me 
And I thought, here I am. This guy's got more sense about who actually can do the work in his heart than, than I did. Um, you ever been humbled by your wife, by your children, by others? Admitting sin in this area can be embarrassing, but we must confess it. And repentance requires honestly accepting that you have sinned. When I grew up, one of the sitcoms was Happy Days. You don't even know what that is probably. And what was the one thing that the Fonz could not say? He couldn't say he was wrong. You have to be able to do that. Not only wrong, but I've sinned. Sin is sin, an offense to God. It's not a mistake. It's not somebody else's fault. Use biblical language. You know, don't say I'm sorry. Don't apologize. Don't say you made me mad. Um, work on that. Look at number two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never felt that way at all. (laughs) (laughs) There seems to be a particular desire not to do that, you know, or to minimize it or whatever when you're when you're before your wife and before your children. Yes. Well, that's what I'm sitting here thinking. I don't know that it's I mean wife and children for sure. Mark, you you got a a comment? Well I'm just gonna say when you're Clay's age, it's usually because you're afraid of sex. You don't, you know, you're going to lose. So you're fear that, and you just, and it's usually an underlying motive. I've had a lot of people. So what? So what you actually will lose? I was actually thinking about a leader in general. Like there's this idea that if I actually am honest, that it's going to, it's going to devalue my leadership. They're, they're actually not going to want to follow me. And it's just the opposite of that. Because they, they, they understand their own hearts, and they want, they'll trust in a leader who's actually honest about, you know, about that. Um, and, and then they'll, they'll trust in a leader that's not only honest, but actually pursues something to, 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 to fix it. Um, and and that, that's actually what leadership is. It's modeling for someone you know where to go, what to do, even like we we're, you know, we were trusting. So, um, at least from a from a leader standpoint, uh, that's that that's where you know that's where it comes from. In that yeah. regard, forty years ago, I was in a church where the pastor made a, a, a practice of confessing serious sin in his life from the previous week, finding some somewhere where he had failed and sharing it with. Wow, that's a scary thought. You know, I saw the, the, the fruit of that. Yeah. The people were more transparent and mm. honest and, mm. and uh, freer to do the same themselves. Yeah. It, it was, it had a, po- I saw it had a powerful impact mm. on the church. Yeah. Yeah, clearly modeling. Is a is a is a really is a really good thing. It's really important. Instead of weakening his weakening his authority, established it. Established it. It absolutely did. Did you have another? I was just thinking of John Wesley when he went to a Bible study once. He was ready to confess sin. Mm. 
you learn a lot of Vedic Bible studies. Hmm. I mean, different sort of standards. Hmm. You're, you're just only coming in to try to learn something. You're not allowed to get into sin. Well, look at uh, the Bible study here in number two. Assess yourself rightly against the only standard, God's Word. Humility is a healthy distrust of yourself, not a loathing or self-pity. And I think those two things can go together. Loathing can turn into self-pity. Um, uh, I'm just a, just a worm. I'm just a dirt bag. I, you know, I just I, I can't. You know, that's, that's not humility. It may start with a realization that you're low, but then you do exactly what David did in Psalm 22 with his problems. Whenever you realize that you're the problem, your pride's the problem, then you run to you, you run to God. Um, the humble servant dies to himself. You're called to give up your own strength, and you're called to take up your your cross. So you imitate Christ who emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. You imitate Paul, his example of dying to self and giving up giving up liberties. Look at D. You hate every false false way. Now once this I think you think humility is, wow, I don't want to who am I? I don't want to tell anybody that they're wrong. I don't want to. I mean, there's this aspect in our culture that humility looks more like lacking conviction, right? Like you're you're a judgmental person if you take a position on anything. There, the whole idea of tolerance. Don't mistake that for biblical humility. That's not biblical humility at all. Um, biblical humility actually acknowledges that there is a standard. And that standard is, is in God's word, which is where you examine yourself. It's the only standard, which is God's, God's word. And that will actually lead you to hate every false way, including the false way that's, that's, that's operating in your own heart. So a humble man has God's word as his meditation, his statutes, his laws, his precepts, his ordinances. All of those guide and guard us every second. And as a humble man, I admit that I have the power of the cross available to me, but I must deny my flesh. And dying to self is the most difficult part of that. Turn the page. How do you die to self? What's it look like? Let's say you're in here and you go, yeah, I want to be more humble. I see that, but I also see tendencies. I don't know that I'm going to say I'm a proud man, but I see tendencies of wanting to be served rather than wanting to serve. Or there are days whenever I get out of bed and I... I I'm, I really do think more about myself than my coworkers or, you know, or someone else. How do you battle that? I mean, he said that's what he's talking about: killing, slaying, mortifying your flesh, fighting against it. Now, as a believer, you now have that power as to where before you didn't. Now you, you have the Spirit of God living in you. You have empowerment. You have the ability to understand the 
understand the word. The spirit and the word go together. You've got the empowerment, but the word is the you know is the is the corn for the till, if you will. I mean, it's got the word's got to be there for the spirit to be able to operate, renewing your mind. Um, you know, the Colossians passage of, of three seventeen and and uh, the Ephesians passage of five eighteen, be filled with the spirit, is equated according to the apostle Paul with letting the word of Christ dwell in you to take up residence in you. So the word, the more word, the more the word of God you have in you, then then the more under the control of the Spirit you will be. The Spirit empowers you to put the word into practice. And so you need the word there. But but, but how do you do that? Yeah, Bobby? I was going to say, I forget who said it first, but uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. Mm. And, uh, and the thought was, really good and then there's something else that came to my mind the activities that you do after you set your affections in the right once you get the right affections what does the bible teach us to do you put off and then you put on so the put off and the, and the put on yeah so i think also along with just putting on prayer can be really helpful here mm-hmm. like you can't think of yourself the same way after you spend serious time praising god and his attributes mm-hmm. and just saying like look at how great you are and then on the passion side with people praying for people, mm-hmm. and not just the people that you like, but the, the blessing those who curse you. Like the minute that somebody cuts you off, like I want to say like a, a strong word <laughs> in my heart, you know. Um, but I was convicted just the other day to to bless the person, and I was like, I don't want to bless this person. Like, what what do I want to bless this person for? Um, but it's attacking that pride that I want to see all about me, and instead it's it, I need to be blessed and I'm looking for superior. You you are digging exactly where in the garden where I, where I'm where I'm thinking like how do you how do you kill us what do you do you do the opposite you know of that you you, you if you're focused on yourself you you bring your focus to God which changes the affection that's that's there you you do the Colossians passage and then sometimes you have to you have to act that out I can remember Mark giving the giving the instruction about if you're a proud person um, park as far away possible in the Kroger lot and walk. You know what do we normally do? You know I want the closest spot, and if somebody took that spot or they're there, do they not know that I'm coming to the grocery store right now? That spot should be open for me. You know how do you how do you kill that? You know serve, uh, actually do it, and then you know your your heart will sometimes follow. Yeah. Amen. That when you're in the middle of a, a sin or a hardship that um, a simple habit in your life that's hard to fix, like for me it could be anger issues or whatnot, or it looks like anything for anybody, that when you're in the middle of it or even right afterwards, just to immediately just start picking up the Bible and just reading it as hard mm-hmm. as you don't want it to, 
forcing yourself to do it. Yeah. And it, it's so helpful, like afterwards, like why not just do this beforehand? And everybody has smartphones just about, and you can just look up the Bible on your smartphone and start reading it, and it's just helpful. Yeah. Amen. I, I'm becoming more and more aware of things that I already know. The longer that I'm a I'm a believer, they just you know, and one of them is just being complacent or coasting, you know, uh, lackadaisical about something that the Bible tells me to attack. Like I don't need to be. Uh, I don't. The Bible doesn't say be on the defense. It says be on the offense. You know, this whole idea of sanctification is you know. Ohm frog on a lily pad, you know, hoping that God sanctifies me is, is, is not a biblical view of sanctification. Apart from God, you'll not be sanctified, but he tells you to labor to the point of exhaustion, pursue. Well, those are pretty strong words. So, you, I mean, you, 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 you go after it, and one of the ways that you do that is in those moments, like you're saying, when, when, you, when you particularly sense that, that you're, you're in a... You're in, a, in an area. Faith grows. Look at what he says here in verse, in, in verse 4. There's the preacher coming out. 4. Faith grows when we deny self and trust God. It's two sides to that coin. And it also will fortify your resistance to Satan. Look back at 3. Moments of humble faith build and fortify our resistance to Satan's devices. He retools and comes back, but we are strengthened when we yield our will in in obedience. You do what you want to do. You find a way to do what you want to do. Your will follows your desires, which is why what Bobby was saying is so important. New affections. You desire. Do you desire to please Christ? Do you desire to kill sin? Um but then your will follows that, and and you have to you have to enact it, um, yield, and pursue. Look at three. It's one of the ways that you can cultivate humility. Forgive offenses regularly and seek forgiveness for your offenses. I think this is huge. Um, you have to do this to cultivate humility. You have to forgive regularly and you have to seek forgiveness regularly. Go to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. And then B, ask for forgiveness from your wife and your, your children. Seeking forgiveness from your family serves several purposes and we'll look at those in just a minute. But how do you cultivate humility you serve others, you forgive others, and you confess to others. Now notice what he's what he's pointing out here. It's not just that you forgive others, you actually uh, ask for forgiveness. There's two sides here. Forgive offenses regularly and seek forgiveness for your offenses. Now I think if I'm thinking about humility, it's natural for me to think about seeking forgiveness for others. If I'm a humble person and I sin against you, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. That, that makes sense to me. But how does you forgiving others cultivate humility in your own life? Why is forgiving others important? Or it has to do with 
with humility. That's exactly right. So are you saying that um, having a hard time to uh, for, to forgive, like having a hard time forgiving others, is a sign that you lack humility? You're extremely proud. That's exactly right. Yeah, because yeah, I'm trying to take God's place. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, uh, yeah. You're, you're a pretty good judge of character of God, but why don't you let me take this one? Yeah. It is. It is. It's really hard, though. I mean, it's hard whenever you, because there is a debt. Yeah. You want to say something else? No, I was just saying it's super helpful that um, that we kind of have these diagnostics. Yeah. Because of how blinding pride is. Yeah. So when I'm proud, man, I don't see it. Yeah. And everybody else does, but I don't. And so when I when I know, okay, this is hard for me to forgive. That equals pride. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, when you normally think of pride, you think of, well, let me tell you what I did today, you know, but but that's that's not all that pride is. So what Clay's talking about, these diagnostics are extremely helpful. If you have a hard time forgiving, which is why I'm pressing on this, it's an indication that that you're that you're proud. Um, these others, like if uh, if you have a hard time serving others, that's an indication that you're proud. If you want to be served and you have a hard time serving. Uh, others. If you have a hard time forgiving others, um, if you have a hard time confessing to others, those are three ways that that he's pressing on our hearts to say these are indications that you need to that you need to cultivate cultivate humility. Yeah. It seems rather hypocritical if I can't, yeah. you know, in any way forgiving others, yeah. but then go around and ask others to forgive me. This is exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm new to all this. So yeah. Apologize. No. It's we challenged this past week where I was on prayer, and it said to actually analyze the Lord's prayer. Mm. And it says, mm. forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Amen. That's that. That's uh that's not a that's not a newbie comment. That's master right there. That's that's you nailed it. That's exactly right. Um and and it is a diagnostic. It's a that's why Jesus places it, you know, that that there. I pray every morning um that the Lord would help me be a humble man. That the Lord would help me uh pursue holiness. The Lord would help me be a forgiving man because of because of that. Um, that he would keep me from being overwhelmed by temptation, and then he would deliver deliver me from the evil one. I pray the same thing for others. Yeah.
goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. Now think of the joy of what he just said. Like you get to be you get to be a minister of God's grace. You take a situation that's ugly, that's producing more sin, and more sin's gonna come. If someone, you know, doesn't bring the cross to bear, the gospel to bear, and you're the one that gets the privilege of modeling the gospel, modeling Christ in humility, admitting you're wrong and confessing, and then the situation is diffused. They they follow your the, your lead, and they provide the gospel. Yeah, Pastor Bird. Lecture. And now you, you find out you really had to be kind. And, and so that is such a yeah. that can be such a, a point of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and let him kid be to teach the class. I mean that was just be, just be careful that you have you have honestly gone to the Lord first and, and said to the Lord, I am guilty yeah. and and maybe the Lord wants to take you through several cycles so when when they when they can't forgive you or they It's another diagnostic. You respond right in that test, and the time will come. A couple hours yeah. later, a couple of days later, yeah. the forgiveness comes, and it's really sweet. Yep. Because you have stood the, the test in humility. Yep. Jim? And actually, following up on what Pastor Brody is saying, when those issues that pop up in our daily life, and we've got many of them, you can kind of look at it as a, a pivot point. There's two ways to go. Mm-hmm. And the way that we as Christians, as we mature, Immediately in our mind should be the fruits of the spirit, mm. and that would bathe that decision, that pivot point, in the right way. Mm. Yeah, Mark. Another pride check. <clears throat> when we seek forgiveness, rarely do we understand how much we offended the other mm. party and how deeply it goes. And so, where I struggle is when they come back and tell me, "Oh yeah, but what about this?" That really Did you hear what he said? 
when you're asking for forgiveness of somebody else, you don't always know the, the level of offense. Like you, you're perceiving, I need to ask forgiveness for this. And you're, you've already run that through your grid system, how you would feel in that situation, what the circumstances were. And so that's, that's another diagnostic. It's great. It's excellent. Goy says here, C, seeking forgiveness of your family. So how do you cultivate it? How do you attack dying to self, serving others, forgiving others, actually freely offering forgiveness, and then confessing to others? See, he says, seeking forgiveness from your family for serves several purposes. Number one, you model it. Okay. Pastor Birdie was, was just illustrating. Your family is encouraged to pray for specific needs. You open a path that encourages your children to seek forgiveness, um, like the like the pastor. You teach your children to humbly confess to to the Lord. It's it's a privilege to be able to to model that. Think of the, the opposite. If you're not modeling that, you're modeling something else, aren't you? You can be a model for pride. You you can be a model to pray. In general, rather than specific, you you can be you can be a model that that only encourages your children to seek forgiveness for really big things, or not at all, or to not confess uh, to to the Lord. Look at five. Looks like we're only going to cover these two today. We'll save six for next time. Praise the Lord. Um, open somebody uh, open to James 1 19 through 25 and be willing to read that know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. Character principle number five, being a doer, not merely a hearer of the word. Now, you, you hear that, no pun intended, all the time, don't you? The conviction at work in this principle is from the passage that we, we just read. So what does it look like to be a mere hearer 